book of Job, believed to be the oldest literature in the Bible. And today I want to talk about classic manhood, vintage lessons from the life of Job. Vintage lessons, old time lessons from the life of Job that God would have us to know. Someone wrote, what makes a man a real man? Is he someone strong and tall or someone taught and talented and knows how to play ball? Is he someone tough and rough who smokes and drinks and swears enough? Is he someone who chases women hard with a quest to conquer mightily while never dropping his guard? Is he someone with a good business mind who gets ahead of others by keeping his nose to the grind? Or someone who holds a title of being the best without the slightest care for all the rest? What is a man? Does anyone know? Tell me. Who is the prototype? To whom shall I go? Well, I want to take you to the Word of God this morning. And uh, let's see what these old-time vintage lessons are from the life of Job. Now, let me set you up with the context of Job from chapter 29. God, as we know, allowed Satan to tempt Job. God saw Job as a real man of faith. A real man of faith. And in the process of Satan testing Job... Job was stripped of all the things that were dear to him, all the things that had any substance in his life, those things that we would value the most. Those things were taken away from Job. He took away his wife, his children, all of his possessions. In fact, Satan told God, Job may be faithful to you right now, but you just wait and see when I'm through with him uh, whether or not he's really a man after your own heart. You stretch out your hand and you start messing with Job's stuff and you're going to find out when you take away all these blessings that he's going to curse you, God, right to your face. That's the attitude Satan had about Job. Uh, you know, what we have to realize, though, when you take a person of faith and you take good old strong, bad old strong Satan, Satan does have some power, but God's power is greater. Satan is on a leash, and he can only do what he's allowed to do. So God was still in control of everything that happened with Job. But for whatever reason that we can't really explain, he allowed Satan to test Job. And so Satan began to sift Job like wheat, and in life that everything that was dear to Job began to change. He began to lose everything, his children, his possessions, his family. His health, he contracted painful boils on his body from head to toe, the Bible says. In chapter 2, verse 8, there at the beginning, it says Job would sit down and he would take a piece of broken pottery and he would scrape the um, emissions that were coming from oozing from these sores on his body and he would scrape that stuff off with a broken piece of pottery just to try to get it off of his body. His wife became so angry with him that she wanted Job to curse God and to turn against God. Job had some very special friends, didn't he? The Bible tells us they tried to tell him what his real problem was and point out all of his sin, and he kept saying, I'm not sin. And they're like, you're prideful, you know. Uh, you know that you're guilty of something here. Why don't you just fess up? Just get the truth out. You'll feel a lot better. And he's like, I've done nothing. I've done nothing. And he stood his ground on that. He wouldn't admit his sin. And 
And they said, well, God will take away all this wrath. Just admit it. Job said, I've done nothing. But I want you to think for a moment. Think about what does it take to bring a man down. And I'm going to just tell you, as a man, it takes very little. It takes very little. Oh, we can think we're all big and tough and strong, but it doesn't take much. If we were to experience just one of these tragedies that he's experienced in his life, it'd be enough to get a man down. The loss of a spouse, take the spouse away. The loss of a child, take a child away. Begin to take away the possessions that he's worked hard for. You take any of those things away, it'll get a man down, won't it? Yet Job had all of this happen, but in chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In other words, Job never spoke against God. Job never spoke an ill thing about this entire situation. He is a portrait of a godly man to us. And so the traits that we see in his life, uh, which won him, I believe, uh, the title of uh, a godly man, he, there were some things that won him this title in my opinion, and first of all, you know, he wanted God's presence and involvement in his life. You can jot that down if you're a note taker. He wanted God's presence to be evident in his life. He wanted a relationship with God. He wanted God to be involved in his life. Now, look with me in chapter 29, beginning with verse 2. He's looking back and he says, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream, and the rock poured out rivers for oil of oil for me. Job's looking back at the blessing of God on his life, isn't he? He's looking back and says, oh man, I wish things were like they were. I think he probably thought those days will never return. But, you know, inside this is this unspoken question, God, where are you in all this? What is going on? I wish I could get back to the way things were when I had close fellowship with you, but you seem to be absent. Well, chapter 1 tells us what kind of man Job was. He, he's disheartened, you know, he's dissatisfied, he's discouraged, he's going through tough times, he feels like God's abandoned him. But we know what kind of man he was. Chapter 1 says he was blameless. He was upright. He was one who feared God and shunned evil. So for years, God had made his presence known to Job. For years, people knew that Job was a man of God and God was with Job. In chapter 1, verse 10, we learn that Satan was aware just how much God was involved in Job's life. He said to God, Satan did, have you not made a hedge around Job? In other words, have you not put your protection around Job and all of his house and all that he has on every side? So there's some characteristics we see about God's blessing in his life. First of all, God gave him protection, didn't he? He said, you have blessed the work of Job's hands. What does that tell us? God had blessed him with productivity. So he had God's protection. He had productivity in his life. And all his possessions have increased in the land, Job, uh, uh, Satan says to God. All Job's possessions have increased. He's got prosperity. He's got protection, productivity, prosperity. Job had the Old Testament sign of God's blessing. You know, a lot of people say, why in the New Testament is a blessing not the same in the Old Testament? What was the blessing of God's hand on your life in the Old Testament? It was protection. 
productivity and prosperity. It was material wealth. God blessed Abraham with great material wealth, didn't he? And all those who would follow after him and live for him. And in the New Testament, the signs of God's blessing are spiritual blessings. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ, Paul the Apostle would say in the book of Ephesians. And, and so the blessing there is spiritual. We're not promised prosperity in the New Testament. That doesn't mean God doesn't bless us with prosperity, but we're not promised all of that. So Job had the Old Testament sign of God's blessing. He had material goods. He had, he was, uh, had fertility in his family. There was livestock. There was land. There was family. But he doesn't sense any of that right now. All that is gone. It's been stripped away from him, and he longs for God's presence and involvement to be restored to his life once again. We would say it like this. Life seems so empty without God's presence at work in my life. And that's where Job was. Well, we go on to say this about Job. What was another lesson we learned from his life? He was concerned about the spiritual condition of his own children. In chapter 1, verse 2, we learn he had ten children, seven sons, and three daughters. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings to the Lord according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus Job did regularly. So what's that saying? That's saying Job went before the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of his children and in prayer for his children. He said, I think there's sin in the camp with my kids. I don't, I don't think they're doing the right thing. Lord, would your grace be on them? Would you forgive them for their sin? Like the priest would go into the Holy of Holies before God for the nation of Israel. He alone could go in there with a blood sacrifice and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and cry out to God and pray that God would forgive them of their sins. That's what Job was doing. He had a priestly role as their father. He was concerned. Only a fool would say it's not his job to teach his children about Jesus. That it's not his job to, to live for God before his kids, that we can't just say, don't do as I do, just do as I say. We, we have to live before our own kids how God wants us to live. Uh, it would be foolish when God's given fathers the charge of teaching truth to their kids for them just to act like that's no big deal. Forget what God says. Uh, father knows best, you know. Uh, the kind of dad Job was, he got up early, he went before the Lord on behalf of his ten kids when he knew they were guilty of sin. He understood his priestly role in the home. You see us men, we'll stand up and we'll say, I'm to be the protector of my home. We'll go get a shotgun and put it by the door as if that's the protection they need. Well, that's not all that it's about. It's about spiritual protection. It's about seeking God and asking God's covering over your life and the life of your family. And, and so Job knew about that role. He was the priest. He led them in the things of God. So he, he's a provider. A man should be a provider. 
A man should be a protector. He should be a priest, a priest with his family to lead them before God and before righteousness. He understood his role. And I believe kids need dads and parents who are concerned about the spiritual well-being of their kids and who go before the Father on their behalf and seek him about the children even after they are grown. See, we're in that stage now. We've got kids that are growing up, like some of you. There's that point where you had some that were still in school, and you've got some that are out of school, and they're growing up. And one thing I've learned from older parents is that you go on from doing all the parenting to doing coaching, right? There comes a point, because you are the parent, you can't say things the way you did, and you can't do things the way you did, and you can't control the behavior the way you once did. You have to turn into a coach. You can only coach them in the right things, and then it's up to them. Thirdly, we see that he was not only concerned about their spiritual condition, Job had compassion for other people, and he was relentless about injustice. He was compassionate toward others and he was also relentless about injustice being done toward others. Look again in chapter 29, verse 15. I was eyes to the blind and I was feet to the lame. He's not bragging. I mean, he's just telling the truth. What did he start out saying in chapter 29? Oh, I wish things were like they were. For those who just couldn't see the right way, I, I would help see for them. For those who couldn't go along the way, I would go for them. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And I searched out the case that I did not know. In other words, if it seemed like something was going on I was a little unsure of, something seemed a little fuzzy there, I would check it out. I broke the fangs of the wicked and I plucked the victim from his teeth. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. I chose the way for them. I sat as chief, so I dwelt as a king in the army, as one who comforts mourners. Job impacted those around him. He helped people get out of their poverty or deal with their poverty. He watched over those who didn't have fathers. He watched over the dying man. He watched over the widow. He wanted people to be able to see if they were walking into harm's way. Now, wait just a minute. Okay, this is leading to something, and I don't think you know what you're getting into. He was eyes to the blind, wasn't he? Have you ever had someone like that in your life, especially when you were younger? If he wasn't sure about a matter, he didn't just let it go by. He investigated it. He wanted to make sure an injustice was not being committed against someone. He was compassionate toward other people. God desires to see men like Job. Job believed right was right and wrong was still wrong. Amen? We need men who believe right is right and wrong is wrong, that everything's not gray. God has said this is right, that's wrong, and we ought to live by that. And he would stand up for those who were being wronged or treated unjustly. What did it say right there? He said he would pluck that victim from the fangs of the wicked. If he saw somebody committing injustice towards somebody, he would go and he would stand with them. He would say, you're not going to do that anymore. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. You're being wrong. You're not going to mistreat them. That's the kind of man he was. Have you ever had to act on someone's behalf like that? That's the rugged side of a man. Sometimes we kind of look for those opportunities, don't we? We would like to say, boy, I'd like to do that. I want to be the 
I want to be the rescuer. That's the roaring part of a man, right? I'm man, see me roar, you know. And men like having opportunities to roar sometimes, but here's the truth. It's only a little part of what it means to be a man of God. As men of God, we're to exercise compassion. There needs to be a compassionate side of us that recognizes when people are in need of our support and our care. We need to be caring, not just rugged. We need to be caring and compassionate with people. True compassion is when you recognize when someone needs help and you consider how God has equipped you to help them. You consider what you can do. How can you get them the help they need if there's nothing you can do for them? You see, sometimes we say, well, I can't do anything with that, but God's given us the resources to get someone to doing something about it. See, that's compassion. And, and I think sometimes we say we can't when we actually can do something. Well, that's the type of men and fathers God would have us to be. And we don't just throw our hands up in the air. We say, this person needs help. This person's not going to make it. They need encouragement. They need strength. Sometimes they need our resources. And Job was that kind of person. Fourthly, he hindered the works of fools merely by his righteous presence. What does that mean? Well, look at verse 7 in chapter 29. He said, When I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square. Now, what happened in the open square, everybody? What happened at the city gate? The men would go to the city gate who were leaders. Other men would come to the city gate who may not be leaders, but they wanted to be in on... It was a community place where decisions were made. They wanted to know what was going on. If you wanted the newspaper, you showed up at the city gate, right? That's where business took place. That's where counsel was given. And leaders would say, this is what we're going to be as a community. This is what we're going to have to do in this situation. He said, when I went to take my seat at the city gate, so you can imagine that. Imagine, if you would, leaders showing up. Here's all these men of the community showing up, and they're going to represent their community, and they're going to make some decisions. He said, when I went out there, the young men saw me, and they hid themselves. Now, what does he mean by the young men? Well, think about what you were like when you were among me, a young, younger man. Any of you have any stories you want to tell on yourself this morning? Of what you were like when you were a younger man? I can remember times, uh, I don't like to say this with my own kids in the room, but I can remember times my dad driving down the street, taking me to school, uh, middle schooler or whatever, and him going, well, look at there, that street lights out. And I just kept looking straight out the window. I remember one time, I'm just going to get myself, y'all going to get rid of me after this. I can remember one time driving down the road and my dad saying, would you look at every one of these vehicles got a red rag sticking out of the gas tank. Somebody had gone and stole every one of those gas caps. Well, I knew who'd done all that. Me and Tim did all that. Because that's just the way we were. And we had those little round silver trash cans, you know, before we got the big dumpster where you could fit everything. You, everybody had two of those little round trash cans. You had your little wooden thing. We would go down there with a baseball bat through the alley. We had alleys. And we would beat everybody's trash can up but our own. 
They'd be dented up and smashed up and everything. My dad would say, look at that. I was out in the alley. Everybody's trash cans are all bent up and messed up except ours. And I'd just look straight ahead. I didn't say a word. That's what young men are like, right? They're just looking to conquer and to damage something. They just, all right, I was just kidding about all that. I was just making up stuff. Not really. <laughs> it's all true. I'm telling you, it's all true. Boys will be boys. That's what young men are like. He said, when I showed up at the city gate and we were about to make some decisions, those young whippersnappers, they took off. They left the scene. They acted foolishly, and they wouldn't act foolishly around me. I remember we pulled up outside of Fuddruckers to eat or somewhere one time, and we were looking for a parking place over by that bank, and as I pulled up, here come these young boys. It was a basketball team or something coming out. And I said, you see those glass bottles over there, Crystal? There's two or three parking spots over them boys. When they get over here by their bus, they're going to break those bottles. She said, I don't think they'd do that right out here in front of everybody, do you? I said, they sure would. That's what boys do. If it's fluorescent light bulbs, they're going to smash them and break them. They like to hear that crash, right? If it's broke bottles, they're going to break them. We got over there and got out of the truck. And you know what you heard? Crash, 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 crash. Every one of those bottles got busted right there in the parking lot. <laughs> and you know what? I saw me and those kids, and I went over there, and I made those boys pick up every bit of that glass and scoop it all up over there because their, their director wasn't out there, whoever, coach, whoever they were waiting on. But that's just the way they were being foolish, right? That's the way boys are. These kids scattered. I mean, when Job showed up, people got right. When Job showed up, people listened. He said, I'd enter that town square and those foolish men would scatter that were up to no good because they'd come see me coming and sit down. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. They knew he might correct them. They knew that he would speak wisdom to them. They weren't ready for that. He said in verse 8, all the older men would even stand up and greet me. Job's not bragging. He's just saying, that's the kind of respect I had in the community. And he's saying, it was all gone. It's all gone now. Oh, God. I wish it was like it was then, but I'm going through such testing and such trial. The young princess, the young aspiring city councilman, I think is how we could say in verse 9, refrained from talking. They put their hand to their mouth. They would listen. The voice of nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it blessed me. And when the eye saw, it approved me. You know, real men don't walk around saying to other men, y'all going to respect me do they? They don't go around demanding that people respect them. A man that's worthy of respect gets respected. Now you got your clowns every now and then, right? But if we'll live a life that's respectful and righteous, even prominent men in the community will respect us for who we are. Job was like a priest to those people. 